welcome to the Rior Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMR markets. It's Tuesday, August the 29th. I'm Caterina Dassier. Coming up this week, we will discuss the expectations of diet lenders for the post-summer pipeline. Then we will delve into the updates of the Spanish steel company Chelsea's restructuring plan. But first, we will discuss UK Telecom's group Talk Talk and its upcoming maturities. Talk Talk has been widely talked about due to its upcoming maturities in 2024 and 2025. The group indeed needs to come up with a plan to address the maturities in a very difficult market environment. Nikhil, one of our analysts, is currently working on a forward model and restructuring options for the group. Can you tell us more about the situation, please? As you said, they currently have upcoming maturities. They have a 330 million RCF, of which 140 million is outstanding. And that comes due in November 2024. And the 685 million senior secured notes come due just three months later in February 2025. Now, with the RCF lenders already having hired PwC as financial advisors a few weeks ago, there is growing uncertainty that the group may not be able to do a straightforward refinancing of its capital structure. A few reasons for this is that they have relatively weak margins, inconsistent cash generation and high leverage. Also, under our forecast, the group would persistently burn cash on a levered basis once you include the interest associated with its 385 million pick notes. Overall, under our base case waterfall analysis, we see the senior secured notes as being covered and the value breaking among the pick notes, which are provided by ARES. These pick notes alone take the group's net leverage for Talk Talk's year end, which ended in February 2023, up to about 6.7 times on a post IFRS 16 basis, compared to around 5.4 times um, when you exclude the pick notes. So if a straightforward refinancing is unlikely, then what options are there for TalkTalk to address their capital structure? Well, the group is currently in the process of selling its B2B arm, which is reportedly being estimated to bring in proceeds of around 150 million. So we think that as a precursor for any deal, the group would need to use these proceeds to repay the 140 million drawn on the RCF and potentially allocate the remaining 10 million to the senior secured notes. After this, we see sort of three main options, one being to engage in a short-term amendment and extension of the notes with a coupon step up and hope for improving top line and EBITDA to encourage cash generation and then revisit the situation when the interest rate environment is likely more favorable to issuers and market sentiment is somewhat improved. Now, the second option we see is potentially being a debt-for-debt exchange with an equity injection from shareholders that can be used to partially tender a portion of the notes. And a potential third option we see could be a debt-for-debt exchange offer with an equity equity injection and a potential incentive fee as well for the bondholders. Now, we calculate the group's constrained uh, cash flow generative ability to limit affordability of a coupon step up to between four to five points from where it currently um, is priced at. The four point step up in the coupon would leave the group generating marginal free cash flow 
while the five points is more closer to a break-even level. Now, ultimately, to right-size the group's capital structure when excluding the pick notes, the senior secured notes would need to be haircut. Now, although we don't suspect a haircut of the notes, we believe this could be covered by an equity injection from shareholders to support a tender offer um, at a discount to par that can also help the group to deleverage. If an equity injection were to be made, the prospect of a partial tender offer of the notes leading to a debt-for-debt exchange with the coupon step-up presents a compelling argument for existing holders to remain in the notes we see. Um, however, from the point of new investors, we think that buying the notes in the secondary market at current price, which is around 82, has more downsides than upsides stemming from the relatively weak operating metrics and execution risk on the behalf of shareholder support. So are shareholders supportive here or has anyone said that they would be willing to provide any equity injection? Well, although management have said that shareholders have signaled intent to provide support, it's unclear where it really comes from. Ares has already provided a significant amount of funding through the pick notes, as well as cash equity as well, and is thought to be unlikely, is thought to be an unlikely candidate to put up more cash. However, the private equity firm did provide financing to Daisy Group um, of around one billion in 2019. And is and Daisy Group is also reportedly one of the likely suitors to buy TalkTalk's B two B business, so that could potentially provide an angle for some support. Now, besides Ares, it leaves Tosca Fund and the founder Sir Charles Dunstone, or a potential third party investor. In our view, it does not make economic sense to put in equity unless TalkTalk was going to be put up for sale in the near future. And if it were to be sold at a significant premium compared to what our base case valuation points to at around 1 billion. Um, A premium to this may only be warranted if it was a strategic buyer that came in to buy TalkTalk and one that could potentially see value in TalkTalk's customer base um, and potential for synergies through the opportunities of cross-selling or upselling. Overall, to cover the debt of the group's uh, consolidated um, structure, including the pick notes, they would need to achieve a value of around 1.3 billion. Thank you, Nikhil. And as a reminder, if you would like to read more about the analysis piece and potential restructuring options for Talk Talk, it will be out in the coming days. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey and the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. Reorg spoke to direct lenders to understand their expectations for the pipeline post-summer. Lucia and Oscar are here today to discuss the results. Welcome to the podcast. Oscar, can you tell us a bit more? Thanks, Katerina. Uh, yes, exactly. So we, we surveyed quite a few direct lenders um, for this piece. I'd say the overall feeling is they're not particularly optimistic um, about the possibility of a kind of M&A revival in September. Uh, The first half of the year was marked by a lot of pooled and delayed processes, so it hasn't really instilled a lot of optimism that that that's going to change. Um, Advisors, on the other hand, are kind of talking a big game, um, trying to warm up the market for a few processes, and and there have been some kind of teasers distributed over the past few weeks that we've been reporting on over the summer. Thank you, Katerina. Just to add to what Oscar said, 
most debt providers expect the majority of their deployment to continue to come from their existing portfolios, so through add-ons. And we have also seen public to private transactions and we expect to continue to do so as listed companies have continued to trade at cheaper valuations than have been available for several years. And direct lenders have emerged as reliable financing providers for P2Ps as they give PE sponsors additional flexibility when putting together debt packages for these deals. And finally, lenders expect some refinancing activity as maturities are being addressed. And Oscar, does less M&A activity mean that we will see more dividend recaps as sponsors look for other ways to return capital to their investors? Uh, yeah, um, it's definitely true that private equity firms are under pressure to, to generate some returns, if you, as you've just said, um, especially those that are trying to raise big new funds. Um, and dividend recaps obviously offer them a way to do that without having to sell the portfolio companies. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure they would love to do some dividend recaps in the second half this year. On the lender side, though, I but, you know, there might be some direct lenders who are kind of under pre their own pressures um, in the fundraising cycle to kind of deploy. Um, but I think in general, the approach to dividend recaps will be very cautious in the current environment. They'll want to make sure there's still good equity cushion remaining in these deals. And they want to make sure that the sponsor is kind of incentivized to stay engaged with the business. Uh, we've already seen uh, this year a wave of deals where the lender end up, ends up kind of taking the keys to the business. Um, or to put it another way, this, this, in some of these situations, the sponsor walks away um, and, you know, direct lenders are going to run into capacity issues if this kind of thing happens too many times. And Lucia, what sectors will be topical in the second half of the year? So we expect direct lenders to continue to focus on the resilient sectors such as IT, healthcare and business services. And another space in we in which we expect to see new deals is the segment of packaging. So private equity firms are motivated to back companies that promote circular economy and sustainable packaging. And the industry has seen continuous growth and improving margins. So Reorg reported on the 1.5 billion financing of Austrian packaging group Constantia Flexibles, lined up by HPS to support One Rock Capital Partners acquisition. And we expect that other PE-backed companies uh, will start M&A processes in the second half of the year. Next week, the Spanish court will rule on a restructuring plan proposed by creditors of the steel company Chelsea. Connor, you have followed this closely. Can you tell us about the case and why it is important? Of course. Celso and its creditors have been attempting to find a solution to its debt pile since it defaulted back in 2019. A group of creditors want to take control of the group via a debt-for-equity swap, but this is vigorously opposed by current shareholders, the Ruberolta family. The case is important because the restructuring is the largest attempted so far under Spain's new restructuring plan, which took effect in September last year. A key issue is how the court deals with the issue of competing valuations. There are other issues that they'll be dealing with, but this is the biggest one. Both parties have adduced rival evidence to support their claims, The shareholders argue that they are in the money. However, the creditors say that the current owners have no economic interest in the group. The decision is due by the 10th of September and we'll be covering it.
Join Reorg at the annual IPEM event in Paris on September the 20th, which will moderate the panels why every mid-market CFO needs to know about debt fund and what does the dominance of direct lending mean for markets. Visit the events and webinars page at reorg.com for more information. Also, Reorg is hosting a private credit breakfast event at Billmore on October the 12th. Watch out for more info or content marketing at Rior.com. Joins thousands of industry professionals using ESGX by Reorg to address regulatory reporting and underwrite investments with ESG. Request a trial at Rior.com or contact sales at Rior.com for further information. More details on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, Rior.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.